welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 1st of March 2015, entitled Responding to the Work of Christ, and the Bible reading is taken from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles for our scripture reading to the Gospel of John this morning. We're going to be reading the entirety of the 41 verses that make up that chapter. We thought we'd be going back to our series this morning. Don't worry, we will. <laughs> We've got a few more exciting things to look at in our series on the Genesis account. But I felt specifically God was leading us in this direction uh, this morning uh, in looking into God's Word. And uh, let's begin by reading this passage of Scripture from John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't hear anything else here today, Pray that you'll hear the reading of God's Word as we stand to honor His Word, beginning in John chapter 9, verse 1. The Word of God says, And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who ye say was born blind? 
how then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, he doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. Dost thou teach us? They cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can have together here. Your word that has been so preserved for us down through the ages, that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit that lives within us, that we might be taught this day. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone. You certainly know the inabilities of this one that stands. We pray that you would undertake. Lord, you do the work that needs to be done here today. We pray that you'd receive all the glory and honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Our thought this morning, if you would, is 
responding to the work of Christ, to the work of God, one and the same. Responding to, in this particular case here, I started to say the miraculous work of Christ. But the sermon is really a bit broader than that because I want us to think on how we respond to all of the work of Christ. And in a sense, anything and everything that Christ does for us is miraculous. We might ask ourselves, you know, how do we respond to to life, to the things that go on around us? Because everything that happens around us, everything that happens in this world, everything that happens in this life that touches us in any way, we respond in some way. It might be an outward response. It may be an inward response. It may be something that comes from the heart. It may be something that comes from the mind. But we respond in every way, or in some way, I should say, to the things that go on around us. Now, much of the way that we respond has to do with the way that we see things, the way that we see it. And that's certainly one thing that we'll find in this account here, that people were seeing things very differently, and therefore their response to what Christ was doing was very different. The light in which we see something has a lot to do with how we respond. Folks, we need to keep in the back of our minds, we do live in a spiritually dark world There is darkness all around us. And here Jesus is specifically, he is dealing with this blindness, with this darkness. First of all, we find in the physical sense this this blind man that has been blind from birth that Jesus miraculously restores his sight, his physical sight to him. But even Jesus himself, as he goes through, makes it very clear that the sight that he restores, that the light that he gives goes much farther than just physical sight. We are all blind spiritually until we come to that light that can only come from Jesus Christ. So how we see things will have a big part, will play a big part in how that we respond to things, the light that we see it in, how clear that we see it. So often, (laughs) things are going on around us. And though that God is so real and doing such great works in our lives, if we're not careful, we miss out on the great blessings of our life because we get ourselves so discouraged because of what everybody else is doing or not doing. We get so consumed by these things going on around us that it affects where we are with Christ because that's what we're seeing. You know... Pastors, especially, have to be very, very, very careful about that. You know, there's so many things that go on around us all the time from even as we gather here this morning. We look around. I wish there wasn't an empty seat in the house. Not because that, or not so that it would bring any glory to the preacher, but because... There is nothing greater that can change anyone's life than the power of God through his word. I could get discouraged because, well, you know, whether I'm preaching to one people or a thousand people, 
It's the same preparation. You can get discouraged because you come and say, well, you know, they're here on Sunday morning, but they're not on Sunday night, and we never see them at prayer meeting on Wednesday. You can get discouraged. We say, where's everybody when it comes to the outreach? Where's everybody when it comes to knocking on the doors? Where is everybody? You know, the thing is, is that it's not just the pastor, each and every one of us. There are many things going on or not going on around us, good and bad, that we need to understand we're going to respond to in some way. You see, those things are happening regardless, and they're going to happen, but how do we see them and how do we respond to these things? You see, what light do we see them in? Do you understand what I'm simply trying to say? Some of the things that happen around you, you may have some control over, but many of them you have absolutely no control over. How do we respond to those things? Well, we find that as we look into the Scripture that many things could, could be said there, but there are all kind of responses that we can have. And I want to take just this one that we find here in Scripture and look at how the people responded to this miraculous work of Christ that we see taking place here you see, it's the Word of God that says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The word that's translated rejoice there carries the idea of, of being cheerful and happy. That rejoicing is just, is just flowing out of us always, <laughs> always. Carries the idea of in every season, at all times, in other words, regardless of what is going on around you, regardless of what the season is, whether it's the bright sunshine of summer or the cold, dark winter, regardless of whether you see it as positive or negative or good or bad, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice no matter what the situation is. Rejoice whether you understand it or not. There's no people on earth that ought to be happier and be showing it more than God's people. In John chapter 9, we see a great miracle taking place here that's being performed by Jesus. This man that had been blind from birth, and the Bible said, you know, Nobody's ever had their eyes open that was born blind, that was blind from birth. That's just never happened. But of course, we're all born blind spiritually. <laughs> we are all born blind. And Jesus makes it very clear here that the blindness that he's talking about is just as much the spiritual. We're born in darkness instead of the light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you know that it's absolutely impossible to be with Jesus and be in darkness? 
Sometimes we may feel like we're in the darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. <laughs> if you walk with me, you can't be in the darkness. Remember when he came into the world? <laughs> the Bible says that the light comprehended him not. The, the darkness comprehended him not. The darkness couldn't overcome him. Darkness can never overcome light. It's never so dark that when you put the light on that the light doesn't show up. As a matter of fact, the darker it is, when you put the light on, it shines brighter than ever. We find that our Lord was trying to show the people that here that these were religious people that thought that they had the light. But in reality, they were in darkness. That's why sometimes we see this play on words. It seems like he's going around in some kind of a circle that doesn't make sense. They're blind, but they see, but they can't see. He's relating to them. Their spiritual blindness. The blind man, just like all of the rest of us, he is blind to the power, to the presence of God until Jesus, the light of the world, allows himself to be revealed to him. And he is able, folks. He is able to cure all blindness. <laughs> you see, physical blindness is the easiest thing. <laughs> Spiritual blindness is the much greater disease, but it's not too big for him. You stop and look at what Jesus did here. I mean, he, he spat on the ground and he made this clay into a, to a spittle and he took that clay and he, he anointed the guy's eyes. He had touched him. He put that upon him. He still couldn't see. Why was it? I mean, Jesus was the one that healed him, right? Everybody agrees on that, right? But Jesus had done this and Jesus had touched him. But then Jesus told him, you go down to the pool of Siloam. <laughs> you go down there and wash and then you'll be able to see. Why was that? It was his act of faith. <laughs> his act of faith. Jesus had already touched him. Jesus just wanted him to put his faith into action. Did he believe? Yes. He went down there to the pool. He washed it, and he could see. You see, it was his obedience to do what Jesus had told him to do that allowed that miracle to become a reality in his life. This miracle of Jesus here it's the only place that it's recorded in Scripture. Many of the miracles are recorded in different places, but this one is only recorded here in the Gospel of John. And it shows us also as we look at it, not only the response of the one that Christ was doing the work upon, but the response of all these different people that were around when his work was taking place. Now, I think that when we look at verses 1 through 7, we find, first of all, just the particulars of this miracle that took place. It was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus making it very clear who he was. It was him making it very clear that he'd come to do the work of God, that he needed to do that work. What he did was God's work. He needed to do that while it was day because the night was coming when, when no man would be able to work. The work of God needed to take place right now. And I think that urgency is still upon us today. If God's going to do something in your life, it's now that we have. It's now that we can see God do something around us and use us for it. 
But I want you to notice here the response, this wonderful work of of God, this wonderful work of Christ that is taking place. How do we respond to it? You see, I repeat that, you know, we had a wonderful time of being able to come together service after service and day after day. Some of you were able to be here for all of it. Some of you were able to be here only for some of it. Well, we can't do anything about that, but you were here for what you were here for. it, And God blessed our hearts greatly and God spoke to our hearts and God did a work in the hearts and lives of many people, including this preacher. And I said it, and it's not words lightly. (laughs) We needed that meeting if it was just for me and nobody else. I needed it. I needed God to do some things in my life. And the truth is, though, is that how do we respond? We saw a lot of young people here. We saw a lot of them responding and feeling this older, young and old alike and praying and committing to God things that God has spoken to them about? How do we respond? Because if we're not careful, we just fall right back into the same rut. (laughs) Or we'll look on these things and we'll say, well, I'm not so sure about that or I'm not so sure about this. How will you respond to the work of Christ in your life and in the lives of those around you? You see, first thing, I think what we first see here is is pretty common. And so many times the first response that we see is simply confusion. What's going on? (laughs) What's going on? Especially if it's a work of Christ. (laughs) You know, one thing that sets the miraculous work of Christ apart is that it can only be done by Christ. It can't be done by man. Sometimes we scratch our heads. Well, notice what we see here. It says in verse 8, the neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Hey, what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, isn't this that same guy that's been sitting there begging all this time? Well, some said, Yes, yeah, him. Others said, Oh, it's just somebody that looks like him. But he said up and said, No, it's me, all right. <laughs> I'm the same guy that was sitting there as a beggar before. (laughs) So then they said unto him, verse 10, how were thine eyes open? If you're that same guy that's sitting there, what what has happened here? (laughs) How did you suddenly begin to see? So verse 11, he says, a man that's called Jesus. (laughs) He made clay and he goes to it. In one of my eyes, he said to me, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed. And guess what? I received my sight. I can see. Then, verse 12 said, Then said they unto him, Well, where is this guy? (laughs) Where is he? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened their eyes. What I want you to see here is that the first thing that we see, the first response we see is, just confusion. I'm not sure what's going on. How could this be? I mean, isn't that that same person that did this and that same person that did that? <laughs> We're going to be looking this evening, God willing, at what it means to see a transformed life, the difference in a conformed life and a transformed life. But here the confusion is God has done something. 
Jesus Christ has performed a, a phenomenal miracle. And the neighbors and the people that are standing by, they're all standing around scratching their heads trying to figure out what in the world is going on. May I say, folks, that's normal and that's okay. <laughs> but the one thing that we find that comes through in all the confusion, they didn't understand it, but the one that happened to, he knew who had done it. <laughs> he was able to tell them, Jesus is the one that did this. So sometimes when, when God's doing a work, it might be something that God's doing in your life, and you say, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why that I'm feeling this way or why that I'm thinking this way. I don't understand. That's okay. It might be that you see God doing something in another Oh, I've seen that person so many times. I know them. I know what they do. Why? <laughs> There's no way. Well, I want you to see, first of all, that confusion is part of the response. But we don't have to stay confused, okay? You know, we may not suddenly things are happening, and it. thank God it doesn't always make sense. Thanks God we can't always put it out step by step by step and, and explain it and understand it. But what about when we begin to move on beyond that confusion. Well, I want to warn you, first of all, against what he says in verse 15 and 16. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. There is no way that this is a work of God. This guy can't be of God because it doesn't fit into our little box. He didn't do it the way that we said it's got to be done. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? <laughs> there was a division among them. Some thought that, well, <laughs> This, this guy was such a bad guy. How is he able to do all this? And others said, there's no way he's a good guy. He's a bad guy because he did it on the Sabbath. Confusion is one response. The second thing we see is criticism. <laughs> you don't understand it, so you put it down. No way. <laughs> this isn't the way God works. God wouldn't do it this way. Criticism. You see, Remember, Jesus is the one that has done this miracle. And yet, the first words out of the mouths of these religious people is to criticize him. <laughs> Their first instinct was to look at what was wrong with it rather than what was right. He did it on the Sabbath. That just didn't fit. Didn't fit their interpretation of things. We have a word for those kind of people where I grow up. I'm not sure as long as I lived here if I've yep, do you use the term nitpickers here? <laughs> well, that's what we used to call them nitpickers. <laughs> a lot of people have a knack <laughs> for just nitpicking something to pieces. They have to demonstrate their their skills on every situation that comes into their life. I got news for you this morning. Everybody look at that person sitting beside you. Either side, it don't matter. Everybody got, you, you see those persons sitting there, guess what? 
there's one thing that you all have in common. I promise you, because I can see all of you. That person's human. <laughs> they are a human. Guess what? They're a sinner. Every one of us all have sinned. Now, the grace of God will take care of that. <laughs> that person, their humanness is a sinner. Guess what? They've got flaws. They are imperfect. Now, that person that's sitting there beside you right now, I'll guarantee you, if you want to be a nitpicker, you can nitpick them to death. You can find flaws. You can find little things. You can tell us all, all kinds of wonderful nitpicky things about them. <laughs> some of them you know better than others. <laughs> some of them you might know some real dirt on them. <laughs> what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that that was the way they responded to the work of Christ. They began looking at what they saw as the flaws. They began trying to tear it apart. They began to criticize. Well, that's one response that people can have. But God says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I'm saying to you very clear from God's word this morning, if you are a child of God, it's only because that God has forgiven you from all of your awful sins. Now, he's saying as a child of God, there is never an excuse for you to look at that person beside you and nitpick them apart and point out all their flaws because God forgave you. Why do you turn around and do that to them? He says, love them. Be tender towards them. Show mercy towards them. Yes, there are things in every one of us here that could be nitpicked. <laughs> But that's not what he wants us to do with each other. <laughs> Don't look for the flaws. He says, be tender-hearted, loving, forgiving, kind towards one another. You see, the nitpickers of our day <laughs> are just the Pharisees of Jesus' day. <laughs> just like their interrogation of this one that God had done a wonderful work in this blind man's life. And instead of rejoicing in the great miracle of this man's regained sight, they're focused on what they can see wrong with it. Tell you something else. Criticism destroys celebration. <laughs> You'll never be able to celebrate, to rejoice as he wants us to when we're focused upon tearing it down and criticizing and picking it to pieces. Sometimes a person can actually get in such a habit of this critical spirit of nitpicking things apart that they find it very hard 
to say anything positive. You know, it seems like, wow, boy, that, that new paint you put on the sanctuary, boy, it really looks good in there. Of course, it would have looked a whole lot better if you'd used the color that I told you. <laughs> hmm, that music was good today. I sure wish that person beside me didn't sing so loud, though. <laughs> Preacher preached a fine sermon. Sure could have stood to be shorter there. <laughs> I read somewhere that there's really two kinds of people in the world, ducks and eagles, ducks and eagles. Ducks, they're always going around quack, 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 it all the time about everything. <laughs> well, there's others mount up with wings as eagles. <laughs> they soar above it all. They see the majesty of God. To see God's wonder and all that he is while the ducks are waddling around quacking about all the things that are wrong. I don't know. Would you rather be a duck or an eagle today? <laughs> because the truth is, is that we will respond in some way to the works of Christ. Our Christian duty is not to complain and criticize about everything that doesn't suit us but we actually have a duty to encourage one another. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Just that simple word of encouragement. Instead of turning up your nose or being so critical, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, this, this is a powerful verse, folks. <laughs> He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Whoa. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Well, what did he mean by corrupt communication? Well, just in case you ask that question, he goes on to explain. He says, but... <laughs> that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto its hearers. And let nothing corrupt because something that comes out of your mouth, if it even comes out of your mouth and is to, to someone's detriment, if it's to discourage, if it's to take them down in any way, he said, don't even let it leave those lips. But let those things come out that will edify, that will pick up, you may know some dirt on the person sitting beside you. You may know a lot of their flaws. But don't let it leave your mouth. <laughs> don't let it leave your mouth. Can I put it in a country way where we come from? And I used to hear this. It's just simply, if you can't say something good about somebody, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's pretty easy to understand. That's kind of what God's saying right there. Let no corrupt communication come out of that mouth. That which will edify. That which will minister grace. <laughs> wow. What if God said to us what we really, what he really knows about us? <laughs> huh? You think you know some dirt on that person beside you? Guess what God knows on you? <laughs> he knows everything. But he's not telling everybody about it. Matter of fact, even though he knows all the dirt on you, he just kept his mouth shut and went and died on the cross for you so that it all be taken care of. Instead of criticizing you for you and putting it down, he just went and died for you. 
He says, let the words that leave our mouth, let them be for someone's building up, for someone's edification. Let it be that it might minister grace unto the hearers, not what they deserve, but what they don't deserve. So that's one way that we can respond to the works of Christ that's going on around us. Confusion, understandable sometimes. Criticizing, that's the next thing we see from those here. <laughs> they just began to criticize. They began to tear it apart right off the bat. For some, it went even further. Notice what he says, thirdly, contention. <laughs> What's he say in verse 16? We said, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And what happens? There was a division among them. They began to argue amongst themselves. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? He that opened the eyes, he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. They asked him saying, he's your son who ye say was born blind. How then doth he now see? Parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. By what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. They really remain contentious right through the rest of this, this chapter, if you read on down. They're doing everything they can just to stir things up, <laughs> just to stir things up amongst them. Some people get a kick out of that, just doing things to see other people's reactions, <laughs> to see how they're going to react to it. I could give you some real good illustrations there. <laughs> i got a neighbor that's been trying to stir me up lately, and I'm determined not to react. Some people just get a kick out of it. Do you remember as a child ever maybe getting a, an insect bite or maybe you scratched yourself on something and you had a little bit of a scar and the, the scab started growing over it, starts itching a little bit, and what do you start doing? And what's mom and dad always say? Don't scratch that. <laughs> Don't scratch that. You're going to make it worse. You're going to get infection in it. I always want to get right straight to it. We want to scratch it. Quit picking at that wound. Quit picking at that scab. Well, that's what people like to do sometimes, not only on their scab, they like to pick at other people's scabs. <laughs> there's a cut, there's a wound, there's a bite. You just want to pick at it, pick at it. Philippians 3, 13, 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. This is the Apostle Paul, of course, writing. I count not myself to have apprehended. I I haven't arrived yet, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
You see, the Apostle Paul, there were a lot of things in his past. Whoa. But he says, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing towards the mark. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 puts it this way. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fall of the grace of God or fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. There are too many hurt and bitter Christians in our day. Smallest little thing. <laughs> They're hurt. <laughs> Their feelings are hurt. That bitterness begins to grow within them. Folks, bitterness is sin. The Bible is clear upon that. It's got to be forsaken. I remember another saying I was often told as a boy, if you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, somebody's sure to knock it off. <laughs> you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, somebody will knock it off. Kenneth Wilson said this, it's easier to say what someone else should do than it is to be what someone else should be. He said, in other words, it's a whole lot easier to talk about what somebody else should be instead of going ahead and being what you should be yourself and letting that be the example. You see, how do we respond to the work of Christ? Confusion can often be a part of it. We may not understand it all, but let's not become critical like the neighbors and the Pharisees did here, began to criticize all those things that we don't understand. Also, let's not become contentious, dividing amongst ourselves, allowing those barriers to come up because that we disagree on things. Thirdly, and I've got to move quickly here, or fourthly, notice what he says in verse 22 and 23. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Cowardice. <laughs> they were afraid. The Bible tells us that's exactly why they said what they said, because they were afraid of what the others would think, of what the others would do to them. They were afraid of being rejected from the other religious people. They were afraid of being booted out of that group. You see, some people, like these parents, respond by just not being willing to take a stand at all. Just being afraid to take a stand for Christ. They knew what had happened to their son, but the Bible says they chose not to talk because they were afraid. You see, your response will speak volumes. <laughs> you find that not only was there cowardice on the one hand, but if you read down on it in the next verses, we find that the next thing we see from the Pharisees, and you can read all those verses and see it coming through, is conceit. They'd arrived. <laughs> 
They had all the answers. They were the self-appointed crusaders for Christ, for, for, for righteousness. <laughs> Self-righteousness. <laughs> they considered themselves, not as the Apostle Paul when he says he, he hadn't <laughs> apprehended yet. Oh, but they thought that they had. <laughs> they thought that they were there. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. <laughs> We're all nothing. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. He says, when we begin to think that we're so right, we've just become more wrong. They haughtily proclaim their relationship with Moses, their spiritual superiority. They even say to this blind man, huh? You're a sinner. How dare you talk to us in such a way? How dare you say that? Do you realize where we come from, how we've been educated? Do you realize the religious people that we've been? How can you say things like that to us? Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Jesus said, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam which is in your own? Why are you worried about that little splinter when you got this big four by two sticking out of your own? <laughs> or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Jesus was a soft hitter, thou hypocrite. First cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. William Johnson says, before you criticize another Christian, tell him how much you love him. <laughs> you might have second thoughts about your first thought then. <laughs> when you feel like criticizing someone, tearing them down, give them a big hug and tell them that you love them. Look them in the eye. You might have second thoughts about your first thought. We see that their response is not one that <laughs> will help them or the people around them. None of those responses are things that are going to bring that joy and that peace, that rejoicing, criticism, contention, cowardice, conceit. These are all the responses to this one miraculous work of Christ. But I want you to give you this in closing this morning that there's two things that will help us here. First of all, we see some that confessed. <laughs> what did verse 17 say? They said unto the blind man, Again, thou sayest thou of him that he hath opened his eyes. He said he is a prophet. He knew something was Jesus was more than just a man. Verse 25, he answered and said, whether he be a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I know for sure, whereas I was blind, now I see he's more than a man, and I know what he's done in my life. And then if you jump down to verse 30, we find that the man answered and said, Why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. He goes on down. Jesus asked him in verse 35, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He said, Who, who is he, Lord? that I might believe him. Here, now, re remember this. When Jesus first met him, when this chapter began, the man was blind. 
This is the first time he's actually laid eyes on Jesus with his opened eyes as far as we know. Jesus had him put this, or Jesus put the spittle on his eye. Jesus sent him down to the pool. So here he's seen Jesus for the first time. How, 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 how can I know this, sir? Jesus said, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with you, who? The Son of God. And Jesus goes on to say, for judgment I'm coming to this world. What are you saying, preacher? The willingness to confess that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and that Jesus Christ is the one that has done the work. What does he do? He worshiped him. He had something to celebrate, praise God. When he saw who Jesus was and what Jesus had done, he wasn't ashamed to confess him before man. He says if we're ashamed to confess him before man, he'll be ashamed of us before the Father. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with him that do rejoice and weep with him that weep. Philippians 4, 11, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Hebrews 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. We could look at so many passages in Scripture. Philippians 1, 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. How do we respond? to the work of Christ around us. Well, I'm saying that sometimes it can be confusing, but where does that lead us to? Let's not let it lead us to criticism and contention and cowardice and conceitfulness, but let it lead us to confessing Christ and his work. Let it lead us to celebration of rejoicing 1 Corinthians 12, 26, and whether one suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We can be an encourager or a discourager, and we make a choice. How do we see things? Are we seeing things through the light that Jesus Christ has given us? Are we seeing it in the darkness? Jesus said, if he's with you, <laughs> you can't be in the darkness. Let's see it through the eyes of Christ today. So many times when Christ begins to work in my life, I don't understand it either. I don't understand why he's taking me here or why he's taking me there or where he's going over here. Sometimes I don't understand what God's doing in a lot of people's lives. But we're all going to respond in some way. And that's all I'm wanting to share with you from my heart this morning. What's God wanting to do in your life right now? What is God doing in your life right now? And how are you going to respond to it? What's God doing in the lives of people around you? How are you going to respond to it? Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. Let's thank God for what he's doing. Let's truly celebrate. <laughs> that God's loved us enough that he is still working in our lives, that he will still work in our lives, even though we may have messed it up so many times in the past.
and sing for our closing hymn right now. Again, I chose this hymn because I think it's a wonderful hymn to sing as a prayer. <laughs> it starts with me. Cleanse me, O Lord. Today. I'm, you know, <laughs> you may think that maybe I'm getting old and forgetful. Well, Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Praise God. <laughs> I'm glad I'm forgetting some of those things which 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 are behind. And I'm certainly, I've got my eyes on a goal. <laughs> I'm going for the prize. You know what? We need folks. Look around us. Look around us in here. Look around us in our community. Look around us at our family and those that we care for, the people around us, the people that live next door. We need the miraculous work of Christ in our lives and all around us, in our church, in our homes. We need him to do what we can't do. We need him to do that which is only accreditable to him. How are we going to respond today? Let's open our hearts and rejoice because I'm just, I'm just simple enough to believe that God still wants to do a work, that God still wants to save souls here in this community, through our lives. God still wants to do a work. Let's get our minds off of all the things that are wrong and all the flaws. Let's celebrate together and thank God that he's still here, that he's still willing to use sinners saved by grace like us. If you're here this morning, if you don't have that certainty, number one, of knowing, knowing that your sins have been forgiven, all today, I'd sure love to show you how you can leave here knowing that. Christian, I want to see God do such a work in your life that you step back and it just totally confuses you. You're in total shock you know, at what God is doing. But you take it and accept it. Rejoice in it. Thank God for what he's, for what he's doing in your life. Let's stand. Let's sing together these words. Let's sing them from our hearts as we sing to the Lord. Amen. Amen.